You're listening to Episode 4 of the Child Life On Call Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Child Life On Call Podcast. When your child is sick, the whole world seems to stop in its tracks. Plans and priorities change, and your number one job becomes figuring out how to get your child well again. For some of us, rest, medications, and relaxation can do the trick. But for others, it takes more. It takes countless doctor appointments, invasive medical testing, therapy, surgeries. The list goes on, and then you still may not have all of the answers or results you were hoping for. This podcast features parents of children that have an illness or medical condition and gives them a place to share their own journeys and experiences. We will talk about the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, but one thing seems to remain the same. Children are resilient and teach us more about ourselves and the world than we could ever imagine. Thank you so much for lending a listening ear and opening up your heart to these families and this podcast. I'm your host, Katie Taylor. I don't even know if my child's going to walk and he may not even hear. I mean, it was just, it was really hard. It was just, that was definitely one of those things where it really spoke to me, Katie, when you were talking about doing these podcasts, because like at that very moment, and you really truly do feel, you know, you're in a room with your child and your husband or your family, whoever else might be in there and doctors, but you seriously do feel alone. I mean, you just, you feel like, you know, you know, you're just like spinning. I mean, it's just such a weird experience that your brain, it's so funny how your brain just starts just going all these different directions and thoughts and emotions and, um, you know, it's just hard. That was Abigail, our guest on today's podcast. She is putting words to feelings that can often be hard to express. Abigail's first child was diagnosed with spina bifida at her 20-week ultrasound, and she will walk us through what that experience has been like. From being diagnosed with the most severe form of spina bifida, as her doctor told her, to being a running, jumping, full-of-life kind of kid, Abigail and her family's journey has been full of ups and downs. She gives real explanations about how they dealt with the news as well as how family reactions played a part in their coping. So let's first hear a little bit about Abigail, her family, and where they come from. So I am basically a native Texan. I was born in Houston, and I we moved to Austin when I was about eight years old with my, you know, my family. I'm a middle child of three kids, so um, grew up here, went to high school here, went off to college in Fort Worth, and then. Um, lived in New York for a couple of years and then ventured back to Austin. And that's where I met my husband, Chad, and we got married and back in 2007 and um, actually about to celebrate our 10 year anniversary at the end of this year. So that's really exciting. And so we have two kids. We have a six-year-old son, or actually six and a half, excuse me. He just turned six and a half end of April, and he tells everybody it's very important that I remember that half for him. And um, his name is Teak, and then we have a two and a half-year-old daughter, Sloan. Abigail will begin her story today talking to us about how she found out about Teak's diagnosis. He was diagnosed in utero at 20 weeks my 20 week ultrasound, my first ultrasound I had with him when I was pregnant, um, we went in to find out if he was a boy or a girl and they tell us he's a boy. And, um, and then the doctor comes in a little bit later and gives us this big news and tells us this big long word that we had no idea what it even meant or how to pronounce it or anything like that we were told that he had spina bifida myelomeningocele. So it's a real long, heavy word. And if you saw it written down, you probably wouldn't know how to pronounce it, but um, it rolls off the tongue pretty easily now. But he, so we knew he was going to be born with it. A myelomeningocele is a defect of the backbone and spinal cord. Before birth, the baby's spine and spinal cord and the spinal canal do not form or close normally. 
it is the most serious form of spina bifida. About one to five children in every 1,000 born in the United States have myelomeningocele. Um, he also has a bilateral hearing loss that we found out when he was about six months old, he was diagnosed with that. So leading up to finding out about him, it was his diagnosis, it was totally normal. You know, we weren't expecting to hear anything was wrong with our child, of course. So, you know, in our case, there wasn't any like little things like, oh, he's doing this weird or this weird. It was just kind of like one second we thought we had a normal child growing in utero and the next second we were told that he was going to be born with spina bifida. Wow. I am just thinking, I'm glad that your husband was there with you during that appointment because I know life can get busy and not, you know, you don't always have that support system with you when you have to, because there's so many appointments, but I guess if you were going to do the gender reveal, then that would be a reason for him to be there. And I'm glad you guys were together. That's true. And he was there. And honestly, um, since we're kind of on this, my mother came because she was so excited. It was her third grandchild. My sister had had two before, but she lives outside of Dallas. So my mother didn't get to be a part of the pregnancy really too much. So she asked if she could come. We honestly hesitated a little bit just because it's kind of something special. You know, it was our first child. We kind of wanted it to be just the two of us. But, um, and my mom's a talker. And so, but I did say, oh, sure, you know, you know, go ahead and come. I felt like no big deal. And um, it was weird because she's just talking, talking, talking to the nurse while she's doing the ultrasound. And she literally talked about a girl that she saw in a hospital when my sister was younger who had spina bifida and was getting her shunt replaced. She was talking about this while we were in there. We didn't know about, we hadn't been told about his diagnosis yet. And I remember my husband and I looking at each other like, really, she's really talking about this right now? Because he's, especially him, he's real big about like negative thoughts and they can come to fruition. And he's just real big about kind of that. And he was really uncomfortable with the fact that she was talking about this stuff and she was talking about some other things anyway. And, and then when the doctor came in and told us, and I'm laughing about this now because I can't even believe I said it, but when he literally sat down and was telling us about spina bifida and then our son had it, I seriously asked the doctor point blank. I said, so my son doesn't have spina bifida because my mother was talking about a little girl earlier who had spina bifida. And he just kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? Because that's, that was where my brain went. Like, you know, I mean, my brain was just all over the place. And I thought, I've never heard that word before. And my mother mentioned it 10 minutes before. And now you're telling me my son has it. So at the time I was angry. It angered me that she had talked about it and my husband as well. And I feel like he's still maybe a little bit, but looking back on it, I see it as just being a spiritual person and a Christian. I felt like it was God just kind of preparing me in a sense. I feel like I'm going to cry, but you know, so angry about it. But like I said, looking back, I feel like God was just kind of throwing that word out there with my mother's chatterbox just to kind of, so that I've heard it before and that she'd kind of seen it before and, you know, knew that this girl was okay. And I don't know, it was just, it's just an odd experience that I just, I've kind of wanted to just mention, um, you know, those little things that God kind of throws in there that you don't really realize at the time, but I feel like he was just kind of preparing me with her, with that word, if that even makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, it's like, it's a little too close to be ironic. I mean. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, is it ironic? or I don't know. It was just, but then at the time, I remember I did ask her, I said, when we'd been told that he was probably going to be a wheelchair and just the dynamic of it, which, you know, we can go into later. I remember asking her, so she was getting her shunt replaced. So I said, mother, did she walk? Was she in a wheelchair? My, my mother hesitated and she said, yes, she was. And then that was another anger point where I was like, you know, really, you you brought this into the environment that we were in. We were in this happy environment. And she was talking about 
you know, this other child. And, and, and I hate to even sometimes bring that up because it's like, um, it makes it like negative towards that, that girl who was having these own experiences of her own and her family probably was as well. Not that it's a bad thing, but you know, you, you never want your child to have anything. You want your child to be as perfect and healthy as they possibly can. So that's kind of where that anger came from. Abigail puts her feelings into words in such a profound way. Being able to identify where anger comes from is really hard to do introspectively. I know I have a really hard time admitting why I'm angry. I just am, okay? But I have a sense I'd be feeling the exact same way that she did in those moments. Next, Abigail talks to us about what happened after Teek's initial diagnosis. So when we found out of his, um, that he had spinobifida myelomeningocele, and that is there are three, the doctor had explained to me there are three different levels. Um, he explained each one to us, and then at that point he said, and your spin has the most severe. So that's kind of how he explained what it was that he was even talking about to us. Um, so from then on, honestly, putting back, going back to the ultrasound real fast, he he just did the ultrasounds. That's just kind of how the OBGYN was all kind of set up, um, the doctor that I went to. And then after the ultrasound, I was supposed to go see my actual doctor. And of course, it took a lot longer ultrasound. And at that point, it was even closing time. And I just remember going up the elevator or down, I can't remember even which way we went. And I remember walking into the, the main office and there was nobody else in there. My husband walked in. And I remember just walking to the front desk and not even, I think I said, I'm here to see my doctor. And I didn't even have to say my name because they had already called up and they were all just rushing. And it was just such a surreal experience. I just kind of want to share because it's almost like an out-of-body experience. It's like all these people know that this is like such a big thing that just happened to this couple that's, you know, have I'm pregnant, you know, and it was just, they just started rushing and they said, come on back. She's waiting for you. And like, everybody was just really tiptoeing at that time. And it was just so, it was just, like I said, it was just very surreal. And I just remember my OBGYN sitting down with me, talking to me a little bit more about it and us asking questions, whatever questions we could think to come to our heads without even really knowing what this is. Um, and her basically looking us both in the eyes and saying, your child will most likely be in a wheelchair. He will most likely not walk. You will most likely have all kinds of different issues. And she said, from now on, you will be having an ultrasound every month to watch his progress to make sure because bifida children can, um, I guess real fast, how to explain it, they're born with um, an opening in their spine. At some point in their spine, it, it can vary. Um, and it the opening can, um, with myelomeningocele, it has the spinal cord and it has nerves outside of the body kind of in this opening. Um, it could be skin covered. It can have more of a the lesion can be more of a kind of a jellyfish type opening where it's a little lot softer. Um, but we had to just, they had to watch that progress of make sure, I guess, I guess they measure it. I'm not really sure what they did. And then they said they can develop club feet, which he didn't have at the time at 20 weeks, but they said he could develop it. So we had to continue to watch that. Um, they said he could develop hydrocephalus, which is fluid on the brain. He did not have it at the time of 20 weeks, but they had to continue to watch it and measure his head and everything. Um, they also have Chiari malformation, and I think most of them always have Chiari malformation, but there are different um, levels of it. I don't know if levels is the right word, but severities, I guess, would be the correct word for that. Um, so they had to just keep watching that. So they said, you have to have an ultrasound from here on out once a month which is, it's exciting in a sense because you get to see your baby, you're pregnant, you know, it's fun to see the baby in there and, and also just make sure everything was still going well. I know that with some spina bifida children, 
if the lesion is a little bit closer to the neck, there is, um, you know, and, and maybe even if it's further down, I'm not sure, but I know that I've heard when it's closer to the neck that they can um, sometimes pass away in the womb in utero. So I'm sure, you know, they were just watching all of that stuff. Um, my son, they did tell me that it was lower on his back which is a, a pretty good diagnosis because then, you know, the lower on the back, the less nerves that are affected, um, the less part of the spinal cord that's affected. Um, and then I guess kind of up until then with the diagnosis with my son's hearing loss, I'll kind of jump to that real fast. Um, with that, he we didn't, of course, know any of that when he was in utero. He when he was born, he had the normal infant hearing screening hearing, I think is how it is. Um, that they, you know, they test their ears, make sure they can hear well. I think he didn't pass the first time they did it again. He didn't pass again. The third time one ear passed and the other ear did not still. So at that point when they released us from the NICU at Dell Children's, they said we had to make an appointment with the audiologist at that point to have his hearing retested or screened um, to kind of see where his hearing was at that. So that was a little bit, um, that was obviously just as emotional as the spina bifida, but it, it, at the time it, it felt like just a really big blow. It felt really, just really, really devastating when we found out about his hearing loss at around six months. It was probably like four to six months where we were doing different testings and stuff because with, the spina bifida, we had almost half of my pregnancy to kind of educate ourselves and get used to it and figure out, you know, read other people's stories. Like I definitely went to blogs. That's when I found blogs and um, started loving blogs at that time because people were sharing these wonderful stories of their children going through spina bifida. But then we just, like I said, we just really prepared ourselves and educated. We knew the doctors that were seeing him, but then like with his hearing loss, I laugh about now. It was like when it happened, I remember just going, God, really? Like my son's going to most likely have to deal with all these other issues. And now we're adding something else onto it. He had to be put down, which was really stressful um, with the hearing loss. You know, he was a little infant baby. Um, but yeah, I remember her telling me, yes, he does, you know, confirming that he did have a hearing loss and me just kind of breaking down in the audiologist's arms because I was just was like, really, really? You're telling me this right now? I, you know, I don't even know if my child's going to walk and he may not even hear. I mean, it was just, it was really hard. It was just, that was definitely one of those things where it really spoke to me, Katie, when you were talking about doing these podcasts, because like at that very moment, and you really, truly do feel, you know, you're in a room with your child and your husband or your family, whoever else might be in there and doctors, but you seriously do feel alone. I mean, you just, you feel like, you know, you know, you're just like spinning. I mean, it's just such a, weird experience that your brain it's so funny how your brain just starts just going all these different directions and thoughts and emotions and um you know it's just hard oh no i mean no you just you explained it so eloquently and i i mean i i can't imagine so it's true you can be surrounded and feel more alone than you ever have before and i feel like that's that's kind of how it is during these really hard times of your life, no matter what the tragedy or the trauma is, it's, it's, it's really, really lonely. It is. Yeah. It's a, it's lonely. I think also because just as humans and then add on being a woman that, you know, we tend to be more emotional, not always, but sometimes, and then a mom, you know, and our hormones, I mean, just all these added things where your brain just seriously, you almost can't control it and that, you know, and that's where it just kind of starts pulling you or you're like, oh my gosh, this, you know, how am I, how am I going to deal with this? Where you, you'll start thinking rather than going, reaching out to somebody, oh, you're going to help me. You can help me. But it's like, no, I have to deal with this. How am I going to help this child? How, what do I have to do? And it just becomes very 
I, 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 which I think, yeah, just adds to that loneliness of I am responsible. This is my child. I'm the mother. You know, how did this happen? Um, yeah, it is. It's a very lonely place. You find out the diagnoses. What was it like right after? So you're, you know, you're kind of saying you were dealing with all these emotions. How did you guys deal with it? Like, what did you do? Well, with that, so with, I guess I'll go back to the spina bifida. We, when we, everybody I remember was calling because everybody, oh, what did you, what do you have? Everybody knew, and most people knew we were going to find out if he was a boy or a girl. And I just remember as when we were walking out, I remember my mom even saying, you know, um, what is that saying? I may quote it wrong. I feel like I am, but what was she, is it information is power? Knowledge is power. Is that it? Maybe. Yes. I remember that was the last thing she said to me. And again, at this point, I was more angry with her, but she was so right because, gosh, I mean, thinking back, if we had, you know, gone through it without knowing anything, kind of like with the hearing, but um, with the spine of you know, and, and I had him and then we were like told and dealing with everything. Oh, I can't even imagine that would have been just compiled even more things to deal with and emotions. So finding out, finding out at 20 weeks, it was powerful. It was, the knowledge was powerful. Um, you know, we, we made the, the certain calls to people, you know, telling them what we'd found out. And people of course were, you know, we'll be praying for you and, um, all of that kind of stuff. And I remember we went back home and we just kind of sat there at home just sat down and just kind of stared at each other. Cause it's like, you know, what, what, what are we, what are we going to do? And of course I start Googling because, you know, and they tell you with anything, I think you're not supposed to Google, but you always do because what else are you going to do? Yeah, I, I like, they just need to stop saying don't Google because I that's know. the first thing we're going to do. Like maybe we can yeah. come up with a plan about a better way to Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I think it's even that I'll even like, I'm not promoting blogs by any means, but they really are so wonderful and helpful because when I Googled spina bifida and found medical sites, it's freaking scary. It is scary because they tell you just like my doctors did, they're going to tell you the worst case scenario. And granted, there are worst case scenarios. There are, they're definitely, I mean, you can't deny that. And, um, and I don't want to take away from those children and those adults you have the worst case scenarios however not every case is like that every case is very different so when you're reading this and they're telling you your child's not going to walk they're going to develop this they're going to develop this and they're going to be probably mentally um slow you know i mean it just it just went on and on and i'm like are you kidding me like this is wow you know I mean, we literally were, I remember talking, like going, okay, we're going to have to build a wheelchair ramp and we're going to have to do this. Is he even going to be able to, you know, I mean, your brain just goes everywhere. But I remember just kind of staring at each other in disbelief. But then, like I said, so going back, I went and Googled, but I found some really awesome blogs of people, moms, that were talking about their children and that were walking or walking with braces and, you know, that did have hydrocephalus, but their shunts, they were so thankful that that they developed shunts that could help their children, you know, with um, the hydrocephalus. I mean, it was just in the club feet that they can be corrected uh, with certain bracing or certain casting and stuff like that. So it was just kind of uplifting that there are other people going through this and that if I needed to, I could reach out to them. Um, I mean, I, admittedly, we probably went through somewhat of a depression, if you will, for a couple of weeks. I mean, you kind of have to go through that. You kind of have to go through those emotions of like anger and sadness and blaming, you know, all those things. I'm a psych major and I'm forgetting what they are now, but you really do hit all of them. And then you kind of come to a point of, okay, I can do this. I can do this. It's okay. You know, this is my child. God gave me this child for a reason. I can do this. I can handle this. 
I hear from a lot of parents that sudden news like this can bring up a lot of negative and roller coaster type feelings. I'm sure many people can relate to how they felt. Take a listen to how one of her family members reacted to the diagnosis. My aunt, she's she's pretty Pentecostal. She lives in the, the mountains of North Carolina, and she's really a very, very spiritual, just a really powerful, strong Christian. And I remember her reaching out to me and saying, we don't accept this. She's like, you have to start praying that you don't accept this. You have to tell God, you have to tell the devil, literally, she said this, that you don't accept this. You don't accept this diagnosis. And that seems so like, what are you talking about? You know, what do you mean don't accept? Medical doctors told me this is what he has. But to make it shorter, I mean, she sent me some, some scripture. She sent me actual scripture that she told me. She said, put your hand on your belly and you read these scriptures. And they were healing scriptures that she gave me that talked about how God heals. And um, there are a couple different ones. And she literally said, put your hand on your belly. You and your husband, he have him put his hand on your belly and just pray those scriptures. Just pray them constantly, just over and over and over. And you just constantly remind yourself that God does heal. She's like, it, it's, it's in the Bible. It's history. God heals. Um, and so that just, I'm like, you know, what else am I going to do? I can't do anything for this child. And honestly, with spina bifida, they did at the time, they were having um, the repair surgeries. They were doing it in utero at the time. It was, um, they were still, it was still in the research phase. So we did look into that. We were told that that was a possibility that they could, I would have to enter this research. I'd have to accept me. And they were literally within, I think you should do it before. 26 weeks pregnant, um, they go and they, they open you up surgically and they repair his back while he's in utero. And we did look into that on, and, and I did speak to someone for quite a while in the research program and it just, we just didn't feel like it was the right fit. We didn't feel right about it. I'd have to go to California or Houston. I think there are three different locations there doing the research. You know, I have to travel um, for to do the surgery, and then I'd have to either stay there for the months up until having the child. I mean, it was just, it just took, it was just a lot of stuff. And after talking to the lady about it, we decided that probably wasn't for us. Besides the fact that we were told that because of our son, it being, it was lower on his back and he didn't have hydrocephalus. He didn't have these other things developed yet in utero that he probably wouldn't have been a good candidate anyway for this research going on. Now, I don't, I think the research is over. I think it ended soon after my son was born and I think they still do it. Um, I'm sure if you're the right candidate for it, you can still do it in utero. But um, in any sense, we didn't, we didn't do that. So, Back to that, my, you know, you can't, there was nothing I could do is my point to, to bringing that up. There's nothing I could do. I can't do anything, but make sure I take care of myself, make sure I'm not stressed, um, you, you know, continue to eat right like we always do anyway when you're pregnant, you know, take care of yourself. That's all you can really do because to take care of this baby inside you, that's all I could do. So the other thing I could do was pray. I can pray. I'm I'm a believer. Um, I'm a follower. So I thought, you know, why not? What, what's the big deal? So I literally would, I would on my drive out to Lakeway, it was about, you know, 25 minutes and I would just pray. I would pray on those scripture and have my hand on my belly because that's all I could do. And then we had people praying all over the place, you know, just family and friends and just all kinds of people just praying. Um, anybody who knew about it. We're just, we're just praying for his health and, and his healing. Um, you know, it, thinking to, I mean, you have to just believe. You have to believe that you're doing something, that something's going to be helping him because there's really nothing else you can do until you wait till he's here um, and is born. Well, it's it's interesting. You're having to deal with your own kind of grief or processing of what's happening, but there's other people in your mm-hmm. family who are going to deal with it in their own ways too. And I think it's That's true. You know, it's, you can't always expect that everyone's going to 
you know, you probably wouldn't think somebody would pick up the phone call and say, I don't accept this and you shouldn't either. It's like, if only it were that easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. If only we could yeah, say no. Okay. We're just not going to take it. <laughs> but wow. Well, and that's true because my, um, my mother-in-law and honestly, I guess I should go into that. I hesitated on to say who it was, but my mother-in-law had a really hard time with it. She, she, she even told me later on that she's like, she locked herself in a room for two months is how she explained it. It was really hard for her. It was her first grandchild. She kept hearing about stories of the most severe kind, like literally, you know, she had someone telling her about this girl that just, you know, anything wrong was happening to this little girl who had spina bifida. So I don't know. I felt like God showed Chad and I, different stories, um, stories that weren't so severe. And, you know, I don't know if he was just preparing us because my son ended up not being, um, as severe. I don't know. It was just, it was, it was, I almost felt like it was because I was praying because I, I looked to God and not so much. I mean, I've looked everywhere else too, but I don't know. I don't know because I don't want to take away from, anybody else's experiences with their spirituality or, or, you know, their belief. I don't want to be like, oh, well, I'm a stronger believer because I, you know, because that's not the case. It was just how my son was supposed to be. I truly believe that. But um, it was just interesting because she kept hearing really severe cases and we kept seeing the lighter cases being told to us or like in the blogs I would search. Um. I don't know. And, and, you know, like I said, I I, I hate to, and I always sometimes hesitate that when I talk to people about my son, because I'm like, oh, yes, spina bifida, but he runs and he walks and he jumps and you can't even tell except when you pull up his shirt and you see a scar on his back. So it's hard for me because there are children who don't walk and don't run and don't jump. And um, like I said, I I don't want to, I'm not taking away from their experiences or their beliefs or anything like that on how they coped with it. Um, and honestly, looking back, you know, I remember talking to my husband a couple of years ago and saying, you know, I never, when I envisioned Teak when he was in my, when I was still pregnant, I never envisioned him. I could never see him in a wheelchair. And I kept thinking, is that just because I didn't accept it? You know, because my aunt was like, oh, we don't accept I don't know. I just, I never, and my husband looked at me and he said, you know, I never did too. It's like, I never did either. And um, I don't know. Like, again, again, I don't know if that was God, like, just, again, preparing us that he that wasn't going to be his story um, or part of who he was. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. <laughs> It seems like your faith has just played such a tremendous part of this entire journey from the beginning, the during, the now, (laughs) the looking back, and just throughout the whole thing. So, you know, I know his case isn't as severe, but what were and are the hardest parts about dealing with a child who has spina bifida? And, you know, I want to tell you, it's like you're... I almost feel like when you're when you're talking, you're and even when we were talking about doing this podcast, you're like, I don't even know if it would qualify because it's not as severe. And I'm like, oh my gosh, girl. <laughs> I mean, I think you know when you look at someone, you don't know what battles they're fighting. And Teak right. is running and playing in sports, but there's a story behind him. Yeah. And every time you see him right. run, it's it means so much. So I mean, yeah. I think you need to give yourself some credit too because y'all are incredibly resilient and um, it's just, it's just amazing what you're able to articulate. So. Yeah. And so is he, because that's funny that you said that, you know, running and playing sports because he, he does, he plays baseball and he's a good hitter. He's a good runner. Like he literally, the other day they were doing a race with his team, you know, just to kind of get some energy out. And he was like, I don't, the other kids may have just been tired of not wanting to run, but he, he is really fast and he's running around those bases. He's literally winning. He, you know, he's like the first place running. And my husband, I feel like more so than me, even maybe being a man and being a sports guy, I don't know. 
he just, every time he's like, I can't believe he's that fast. He's like, he has spina bifida. Like sometimes we have to even go, like he has spina bifida and he is running faster than these kids who do not have spina bifida. I mean, that's, it's sometimes it's like, how does this happen? How, you know, if we could tell ourselves at that 20 week ultrasound, and I feel like I'm going to cry, like, yeah, and uh, like I feel you know if we could go back and be like, it's gonna be okay, you know, it's gonna be okay. It just it's crazy to think about. So sorry, but and honestly, you know, he even we have little issues. He didn't ever develop hydrocephalus fluid on the brains, which a lot of them do. I think the doctor told me, one doctor told me 98% do, one's only 90%. But either way, it's a really high percentage, and he never developed it. And um, they do end up having, you know, scar tissue where they have to have um, tethered cord surgery kind of around five years old. Well, so far, he's okay. He still could definitely develop it. Um, he has some little issues with his right leg. It's a little bit shorter, which I know sometimes people without SB can have, but um, we ha- he has to wear a brace at night to kind of stretch it. It's just really t- tight. Um, but, you know, it, it was even hard to get the doctors to get write the prescription to have a brace at night because they see these other cases that are so much different than his and then they see him and he's climbing on a chair, you know, in the waiting room and they're kind of like, you, you really, you want to brace for this kid? You know, it's just weird. But, um, I still just really push for things because he, although he doesn't look like he has spina bifida, he has spina bifida. It's not like, I mean, I hate to even say this, but I mean, it's not like getting the flu and then you're over the flu and it's gone. It's, it will never be free of spina bifida. He will always have spina bifida. So it's always something that he may have to deal with later in his life. Um, you know, as he grows and his muscles grow and the nerves grow and stuff like that. Um, but, and honestly, even talking about that, it's, it's weird because we've dealt more with his hearing loss than his spina bifida, which was such a big deal when we found out at the time that we've had more issues with his hearing loss. It's like, he's been in special schools because of his hearing loss, because they have a really awesome program with AISD, um, with Austin Independent School District here, where the children have, um, hearing aids or some kind of a loss, they, they start having people come to your house through ECI and then they put them in this program. I think it's called the Austin Regional Day School for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. I, I may be saying that wrong, but anyway, there's just this really awesome program that he got put in really young. He started to, to certain classes with kids that also had hearing aids or cochlear implants. And he has a little bit of a speech delay as well. Um, I felt like we've dealt so much more with that than the spina bifida, but the spina bifida to me is such a, it was such a life-changing event. Well, I have a question. Is hearing loss associated with spina bifida? Are those two things that go hand in hand or is that, are they kind of two independent things from each other? So that's a great question. So when we were told that he had a hearing loss, we are of course, of course told, we don't know. We don't know. Um, what causes it. We never will know. Um, it could be because of, I do have a little bit of my background with genetics. Like I said, my grandfather got, he had hearing aids when he was 20 years old. And I remember mentioning it to my grandmother because he, my grandfather passed away when I was about three months pregnant. Um, what was I? Yeah, about three months pregnant. So unfortunately I never got to speak to him about it, but he could have been hard of hearing at an early age and they just back then, you know, six years ago, he died, I think at 86. So, you know, it's like when he was younger, they didn't really test for that stuff. They didn't do all that kind of really. Um, so he could have had it and they just found it out when he went to the army at 20. I don't know, but so it could have been genetics. Um, 
my brother's girlfriend is a pediatrician and when she kind of when he started dating her we already had teak and stuff she is determined that he lost his hearing because of the antibiotics that they gave him when he had his repair surgery because he had his repair surgery when he was not even a day old um and another doctor mentioned that it could have been the high dosage of pain meds that they have to give you know a child because um you know after the surgery so i don't know i mean honestly could have been any of them and i remember i mentioned it to one of the um pediatric neurosurgeon well she wasn't she was the not the doctor she was the um the nurse and she said i said something about you know do you think that the antibiotics i was told that, that could have possibly have had him lose his hearing and she said you know no she said because she knew maybe less than five kids that she sees out of all the spinal kids that possibly had hearing loss so anyway to answer your question they could be related they could not be related if they were related it would probably be more of part of the process of repairing his back when he was a baby and I mean that's just a lot, you know. Baby's not even a year, a, month, a day old. I can't even say it. And they're already, you know, they're putting him under, and then they're opening his back, and then obviously that's painful. So they give him pain meds. They give him. I mean, he was hooked up to all kinds of stuff, you know, when he was a baby. So I don't know, and we'll never yeah, know. It's like, of course, yeah. it's like the answer that it has no answer. Annoying. <laughs> the question that yeah. has no answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, same with the spina bifida, you know, it's like they say, oh, it's because there's not enough folic acid or it could be a genetic thing. But it's like, we'll never know because I, even we see researchers sometimes when we go to spina bifida clinic at Dell Children's because they're still researching, you know, how to, I guess, cure it. I don't know would be the right word. And I'll talk to the researchers because I've given them swabs of my, you know, saliva and teak saliva. I mean, they're just constantly, and I'm always willing. I'm like, yes, please, what do you need? Research this, you know, if if we could stop it one day. I mean, could you imagine? But, um, and and I'll ask them, like, so are y'all getting closer to find out what? And they're like, you know, we're kind of off of the folic acid. The folic acid is so many things beyond what's just in a natural foods like spinach and stuff like that, they add it to so many processed foods now that it's kind of like we really are eating enough folic acid. I don't know. So, so again, with spina bifida, we'll never know how that happened either. Abigail told me that one of the misconceptions associated with spina bifida is that the child could have developmental delays. And while that may be possible, it's not always the case. She also describes how people react to Teak when they see his hearing aids. It's funny because when people see his hearing aids, and it's, I, I laugh about it because having a grandfather, like I said, with hearing aids growing up, like they'll see his hearing aids and they start talking louder. And it's funny to me because they, that's what the hearing aids already do. You know, they amplify sound because without the hearing aids, he does lose the sound. You know, he's not deaf. If you take his hearing aids out, he can hear. He really can hear. He loses certain sounds at certain levels. He loses high frequency. It's more of the high frequency sounds at certain levels. You know, like if you're whispering to him, he, you know, and you're a certain amount away from him, he probably isn't going to hear you. Uh, although he has learned over the years to read lips pretty well, which I've been told a lot most kids do who have hearing aids um, or some kind of a loss. But, yeah, again, with the hearing aids, they amplify sound. That's what they do. They aid the hearing, right? They They help it to get to more of a regular level like people who don't have hearing loss right so that's to me kind of a misconception that you have to like yell at someone who has hearing aids but it's like it's already amplifying um to me that's kind of a funny misconception it kind of reminds me like in the hospital setting when you know you see a patient that doesn't speak Mm -hmm. English and it's like well speaking in English louder also doesn't work but but we do for some reason like I guess we want to communicate so badly 
that we can raise our voices when it's not appropriate. Yeah. It's it's interesting yeah. how it's sometimes just the normal yeah. reaction. <laughs> so it strange. Is. It's funny. Even though your brain gets it, it's like, well, yeah, it's okay. like your brain can't, Maybe it can't tell your mouth fast enough or something. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. There's no doubt that their experience has been full of ups and downs. But listen to how she talks about how Teak deals with all of this. He has been so unaffected by it. It's just, it's, it's just remarkable that he, you know, sometimes even he'll be on the um, monkey bars at school and occasionally, you know, then it's, you know, he's hanging from the monkey bars upside down, literally, and his shirt flies down you know, on his back. And a couple of times children have asked, you know, like his friends would be like, oh, what's that on your back? And he literally doesn't even realize he's just now learning at six that he has spina bifida. He's just now learning that he has this spina bifida that could have given him a completely different life than he has. Um, I call it his warrior wound. I call it his, you know, the, this is a, you know, he had this surgery when he came out of my tummy and I explain it to him. And I feel like sometimes then he'll forget about it. And then he'll be like, someone will ask him, what's on your back? You know, what is that? And he's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And he like tries to tell a story about when he was in my tummy and they're like, what are you talking about? Um, but I tell him, I said, just tell him it's your warrior wound. And then I guess with his hearing, like with his hearing aids, it's like people, it, it was really hard with his hearing aids. He didn't, he did not want to wear them. We got him at six months. He did not want to wear them. He would throw them out. I literally lost them several times just in our little house. So I would wear these hook things that could go around his neck and then he would pull it out and like almost strangle himself. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. How am I supposed to have the, you know, they keep telling me he has to wear his hearing aids. He has to wear his hearing aids. And that was just so frustrating. Um, and he finally got it about three years old for some reason. I don't know if something clicked and he finally realized that they were actually helping him, that he actually could hear better and he stopped taking them out and he started kind of asking for them in the morning and stuff. Um, so with that, now at six years old, you know, someone sees his hearing aids, they're like, what is that? Why, why is he wearing those? Why do you have those in your ears? And he kind of looks at him like, what do you mean? They're my hearing aids. Like, duh. I said, do you know why we named you Teak? And I'm explaining it to him. And I read to him about Teak Wood and thing. And he's like, wow, so I'm powerful. I'm like, you are powerful. And I don't want him to ever forget that, you know, because children can be mean as we get older. I think we all probably experience some kind of that just growing up. If you're different, you know, Sometimes people don't understand, especially young children, differences and stuff like that. So I always want him to remember that, that his differences are what make him who he is. And that that's, it's just so cool that he already is grasping that um, at a young age. And I hope that he, that he always has that and always keeps that with him. Next, get your pens and your mental notes ready so you can think about Abigail's advice to parents going through similar situations. So the biggest thing with spina bifida, I would just say, I guess, first of all, take a breather and then it's going to be okay. And then there really is so much support, especially um, if you happen to be in Austin and um, build children is just such a wonderful hospital and they have wonderful doctors, but just all in all, kind of going back to what I did in the beginning, research, just research what it's about because you probably won't know unless you knew somebody with it. Reach out for support through, and it really helps to reach out for other parents, other parents that have gone through this, that you can say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Is this normal? Or, um, you know, I'm uncomfortable with this or I'm not happy with this doctor. I mean, I think just the biggest thing is just other families and other moms and I tend to be somewhat of an introvert at times and so I feel like I didn't reach out as much as I wish that I had um, and also sometimes I felt weird reaching out because of my son not being as severe with spina bifida and I and I think that that probably wasn't okay I probably still would have received and I still do get support um, because it's still a community you know when your child whatever that they may end up having. Um, it's heartbreaking, but most likely somebody has something like it. And, um, 
or has a similar case. So I think just that would be it, just reaching out to to other families, other moms and stuff like that. Um, And also, you know, with your doctors, ask questions, always ask questions, ask as many as you can, write them down before you go. Um, And just keep asking them, even if they seem annoyed and like they're looking at their watch and they're ready to go, just keep asking questions because that's what they're there for. And um, that's all you can do. And I think same with the hearing loss. Um, there's a community out there and just reach out, reach out and ask. Um, there's going to be somebody who's went through something similar and, um, and you're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. No matter where, how severe or whatever it, it is going to be okay. And if you're a Christian, pray, um, just pray, pray, ask for help. Um, you know, sometimes you kind of have to just give it to God because sometimes days are just really hard and just kind of give it back to God. So she says, research, research as much as you can, reach out for support, find other parents that have been through ex- an experience that you're going through or something that's similar. Always ask questions and write them down before you go to the doctor. That's what they're there for. You're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Know that you're not alone. There is no doubt that one of the best parts about my job is how resilient kids are. Adults, and I'm raising my hand, can be so worn down by what's going on around us and all the worries that we can have, but kids can be so unaffected in the same room sitting right next to us. If we just take a second to communicate with them and play with them and follow their lead of their childhood spirit, it can in turn help us deal with the really, really hard stuff. Abigail recommends reaching out to existing communities, specifically two that have been really useful for her. One is the Texas Spina Bifida Families on Facebook, and another is Baby Center, and I will link to both of those on the show notes page. Thank you so much to Abigail for sharing your story and Teak's story today. I'd also like to say a big thank you to Laura Morsman Photography for the incredible photos that she took of Abigail and her family. I'm obsessed with the ones of her and Teak together. They're just so precious. Go to my Instagram account, Child Life on Call, if you haven't seen the pictures, and then go follow Laura Morsman Photography. If you haven't already, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts so that you stay up to date with the latest episodes. Our next episode will be on Monday, July 31st, so make sure you're subscribed so you can get that episode when it comes out. If you would like to share your story or have any questions about this podcast, please feel free to get in touch with me, info at childlifepodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening.